0: Oh, hey there. Come on in. We're just about to start. Welcome to My Wife the Dietitian, a fun weekly podcast about nutrition and healthy lifestyle. I'm Rob, and together with my wife, Sandra, we invite you to join us on this informative and entertaining journey through the complex
1: world of healthy eating. Join us each week as we strive to help you with transforming your overall health and relationship with food through up-to-date, evidence-based nutrition information.
0: On today's show, we interview author and food waste activist, Shannon Dobbs. Shannon is passionate about bringing change to the way our food system works. He has been working on several initiatives, including the effects of food waste on climate change, programs for food waste reduction, and equal access to healthy, fresh food for everyone, especially low-income families and rural communities.
2: I believe that we have some situations in America and around the world that are preventable in regards to like food waste and food access inequality. And I believe everybody has the right or should have the right to have access to healthy food when they need it
0: stay with us for this interesting and thought-provoking discussion enjoying the show you can help others find it and enjoy it too by giving us a five-star rating or review if you feel like reaching out to us with a question or comment you can send us an email at mywifetherd at gmail.com and don't forget to visit our website at mywifethedietitian.com, as well as our social media pages. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the show. Welcome to My Wife the Dietitian. Hello, Sandra. Hi, Rob. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Better good. Yes, we're interviewing Shannon Dobbs, who wrote a book called Food Waste Rescue Manifesto.
0: Hmm, Super interesting stuff. Uh, this is a really eye-opening, thought-provoking conversation with Shannon about a whole bunch of different things that we kind of all—not that we take it for granted—but it's just stuff that we're all familiar with. But I don't think many people have thought about it being an issue or have thought about it in from the perspective that we're going to discuss today. So it's it's really interesting.
1: Yeah, we're talking about all about how food ends up in the landfill around the country and it's contributing to global warming and the carbon emissions and the back end of restaurants and all the discarded food and it's ready to serve so it's hard to redistribute and uh, most restaurants have to make too much food so that their customers always have food and they're not running out of food and so it's all contributes to lots of food waste in the system and just how there's lack of uh, grocery stores in various places in around North America, which are called food deserts. So we touch on that too. And we touch on how people with very little resources and access to food can make some simple changes in their life to help eat healthy in their day-to-day living. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: there's a ton of really useful information in this, and like I said, just some really thought-provoking, eye-opening things that we discuss as well. It's it's a really it's a really great conversation. So
1: I want to just mention the, the name of the book again because I don't think I got to say the whole title, uh, "The Food Waste Rescue Manifesto: Nine Mistakes in Food Rescue We Need to Stop Making Now" by Shannon Dobbs. This is a good one. Stay tuned great well we're here with shannon dobbs and shannon please tell the listeners who you are and what you do in your work and how you help people and raise a message about um what aspects of life hey
2: sandra thanks and uh let me let me start by telling you what i believe uh, because I believe that we have some situations in America and around the world that are preventable in regards to like food waste and food access inequality. And I believe everybody has the right or should have the right to have access to healthy food when they need it. Oh, I like that. Belief. Yeah, we're dealing with a, a, a crazy situation where 40 percent of all of the food in the United States gets, ends up in landfills and pig farms around the country. And, you know, fairly, fairly similar situation up in Canada and down in Mexico and pretty much everywhere. So wherever you go, we've got a system that is just not working very well. Yeah. And uh, oh my God. focus is on, yeah, my focus is on uh, working to fix that. You know, we've got some solutions on the table. Some Some really smart folks have figured out some ways to fix these problems, but now the challenge is nobody's talking to each other. And so my job is to get the word out and, and, you know, get on shows like yours and really just talk to people about, Hey, these are the things that are being done here, here, and here, let's put this together into a single package and let's do it everywhere.
1: Yeah. Sounds awesome. Oh My goodness. Yeah.
0: My, my, my first question for you, Shannon is, and this is something I've always wondered about is why is it a problem? Like, why is the food not being redirected? Cause you're right. There's tons of, uh, you know, restaurants, supermarkets, all the, the people who have the food, For whatever reason, which I'm not sure what that reason is, they can't give it to the people who need it. So maybe we could just start there. I'm sure you sort of have an understanding of what the reason is. And if you could explain that, that would be a
2: good start. Yeah. So, I mean, just focusing on the food waste problem, what we have right now is we have a system of food banks that collect food out of grocery stores. Like that's pretty much their job. Um, Okay. They're not that great at that job, to be perfectly honest. Like, uh, uh, you know, food banks are doing the best that they can, but a lot of uh, grocery stores don't participate. Uh, A lot of food is too far gone by the time it gets to them. So there's some challenges in that system, but the food bank system, by and large, works pretty well. The problem is food banks can only use or they can only transport and redistribute food that's packaged and ready for delivery to people's homes. Okay. So so grocery store food is literally it's the food that's designed for people to go pick it up, take it back to your home and then you cook your own food. You start getting into stuff like restaurants and it's a whole different ball game. True. The big difference is is the heat, the temperature. Uh mm. supermarket food is packaged, it's frozen or it's refrigerated or it's dry goods, whatever it is, but you can take it out and you can put it in your car and you've got a certain amount of time to get it home with no problem. Restaurants have a completely different problem because they have food that's up at 160 degrees and above that's ready to serve. And so mm-hmm. when they get to the end of their day, if they haven't sold all of the food, and I guarantee you they haven't because our, our entire system's set up that they have to make too much food every day. Otherwise people walk in and they're like, what kind of a restaurant are you running? And they'll go someplace else. So they have to make, yeah. to cover their, their entire menu for the entire day. And so if it's a slow day or if it's a, you know inclement weather or for whatever reason they didn't sell that much food, all that ends up in the trash because and, and the reason for this is because food takes a long time to, to transition from hot down to frozen in a freezer and right. so when you're talking about restaurant food you're talking about those big hotel pans of, of food you know it's, it's a lot of, of food being made at once and if you try to yeah. put that into a freezer what happens is not only will it will it take so long it'll take you know eight nine ten hours to transition down and that's enough time to grow bacteria and make people sick even right. worse. Yeah, that's a problem. And even worse than that, the food that you put into the freezer is also going to potentially endanger all of the other food in the freezer. That's true. So that's the challenge. And, and so people haven't really been able to get our heads around. And this is, this has been a challenge throughout the entire history of, you know, of, of the Americas and, and of the world is like, how do we deal with that type of situation? And, and we've evolved as a society where restaurants are a really big part of our culture. And so it's not something that's going to go away. So we have to figure out a better way of getting into the back end and really kind of fixing this challenge. And how do we how do we catch this food before it hits the ground, as it were?
1: Mm-hmm. Right. True. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. To redistribute the food that is actually edible, safe to consume, delicious, probably if it's coming from a restaurant. And oh, yeah. how do we get that to people that need that are hungry or people that need food? Yeah. So it's been an
2: it's been an intractable problem up until now. And what's really cool is there there was a, a program that was developed down in Las Vegas by uh, the food bank down there. It's called Three Square. And they accidentally found a solution.
1: Accidentally. Oh, that's like penicillin when they,
2: they yeah, <laughs> literally and landed on a solution. They're like, wait, we just figured some stuff out. They, they, so what happened is I, I was up in northern Nevada running my nonprofit trying to get grocery access into food deserts at the time. And so I heard about this whole program that was going on and what happened was 3 square moved into a new into a larger building to expand their operations and the new building that they moved into the previous tenant had left a blast chiller there and somebody on the food on the food bank staff or their volunteer crew recognized that piece of equipment and they're like wait a minute this is important and so they they kind of explained to the leadership like what the blast chiller does and so, what a blast chiller is, is it's a piece of equipment that's on the manufacturing side of food. It's if you ever go into a grocery store and you see like the flash frozen vegetables or your salmon or whatever you're getting in the freezer. Yeah. Right. The blast chiller is the piece of equipment that does that. And it can freeze food so quickly that it grows super tiny ice crystals in the food so that when you reheat it, it doesn't fall apart like the stuff like your leftovers at home does. Oh, neat.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so,
2: so it can take that same hotel pan of food that I was talking about earlier. You can take you know ten of those, twelve of those, however many that, that your equipment fits, you fill up the equipment and then you hit the start button and ninety minutes later that stuff's rock solid. Nice. So that's like instant freeze almost. Yeah, pretty close to it. And you can also customize it to where like you can drop it down to refrigerated temperatures and then take it out, reportion it. So let's say you've got like a, a giant hotel pan full of fried chicken. And one of mashed potatoes and one of green beans, you could take those all out after they're refrigerated, turn them into meals for families, like, you know, actually plate them up, then put them mm-hmm. back in the glass chiller, freeze them solid from there. Oh, cool. So not only can you save the food, you can also manipulate the food.
1: Right, because there's cook serve types of systems for hospitals and I guess for airline services um, where the food is made like all fresh food and then yeah. plate it out. And then put into the, as you said, like the air, the blasters where it's like frozen, like flash frozen. Mm -hmm. So is that like a similar kind of equipment?
2: Yeah. So all you have to, all we have to do in order to fix this problem is take that equipment and put it on the other end of the food system. So instead of on the manufacturing side, we can put it in the location itself. So let's say uh, like in this area, we've got a lot of ski resorts and you guys have Whistler Blackcomb up there. Super jealous, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so, so let's say, you know, uh, the, the resorts are all trying to go to zero waste. And, you know, their biggest problem is how do we get the food at the end of the day back down the mountain and basically throw it away? Like, how do we get it to compost? How do we get it off the mountain? And so it's, if they put a blast chiller up at, to, up at the top of the mountain, let's say at the base where the gondola is, they can collect all of the food from all of their different lodges throughout the mountain down at the bottom of it. Slot it through the blast chiller, and then once it's cold, then they can slot it. They can take it downstairs or uh, down the mountain, or the volunteers can come up and pick it up at, at their leisure. And all it takes is some freezer space.
0: That's amazing, and it, I mean, I'm I'm guessing it's just establishing the the whole logistical train for this this process, right? From the yeah you know, at either end of that process and, but it sounds like that would be a good solution.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a game changer. Like right now in Las Vegas, they're rescuing literally hundreds of thousands of pounds a year from just 20 participating casinos that are involved. Uh, the, MGM, uh, the MGM Grand Resorts got involved as a partner with uh, Three Square. And right. they're, they're mm. up to, you know, they're up over like close to 400,000 pounds a year that they're rescuing. Uh, they're continually expanding their program. The problem is they're not talking about it to anybody else. You know, last week I talked to the chief operating officer of the food bank here in Colorado and he'd never heard of their program. Really? And and that's kind of the common thing is that Las Vegas just hasn't been really good about getting the word out and other, other nonprofit organizations are really, really bad about picking up successes and running with them.
1: Right. Oh, uh, right, right. And so,
2: so one of the advantages that I'm coming in with is I, I've got an entrepreneurial background and an army logistics background. And so Perfect. I've, yeah, I've spent like 30 years in some aspect or another of the system. And so I was able to take a different look at this and kind of come from an outsider's lens and be like, okay, well, if we put this, 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 and this piece, all of these different components that different nonprofits around the country and around the world are doing into a cohesive program and into an actual solution that that's like all of them are working at once, we can solve all of these problems at a regional level.
1: Yeah. Cause I mean, that was one of our questions that I wanted to ask you is like, why are so many low-income and rural communities, like in this food desert, kind of like left without easy access to f- healthy food options? Like, so you've done a lot of research on this. And, yeah, and that goes
2: into uh, the the conversation that I was having last year talking about the supermarkets is they're not designed as an efficient business model. You know, this mm. is this is something that they figured out. So, so what happened is, and this is something I learned from Freakonomics from their podcast back in 2019, like I didn't come up with this stuff. But they uh, they they interviewed this uh, smart guy that was a researcher, is a, a an anthropologist out of uh, the UK, and he had I have written... that
1: book. I you have that, that on the shelf, Rob. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, economics. I've seen that. Yep. <laughs> yeah.
2: Very <laughs> cool. So yeah, they 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 talked to this guy, and he was revealing about the history and the background of supermarkets, and and basically it started off as uh, from what I was uh, understanding from this, it was a propaganda campaign by the United States back in the 1930s. Wow. And so we had just invented television back then, and they were trying to figure out how to showcase the economic and agricultural might of the United States to the world. And so they oh, really. Yeah. So they invented this new type of, of business model that was like, OK, let's put all the all the food on the shelves so where you can see it and have these big wide aisles that you can drive a car down. and look, we're just gonna, <laughs> And that's what it's going to be. So it was kind of this visual appeal model that they created. And it, it, was, it was very useful and effective for what it was and what it was intended to do, which was basically push back against, you know, kind of the alternate model, which was the socialist uh, stuff that was coming out of Russia at the time, out of the USSR. And, you know, we won that, that fight. But then you start looking at the side effects of what we've created and, and kind of the monster that we've set loose upon ourselves in order to win that fight. And then you start seeing right. about like, like just the massive amount. Grocery stores hemorrhage food and they hemorrhage labor. They're not an efficient model. And, and so as a result, they can't go into low income communities because they can't get enough sales to justify the store.
0: Are you talking about like the mega, the mega grocery stores, not like the little local community mom and pop well, type okay. of food stores?
2: So, yeah, I'm talking about the major supermarkets, like the, the, the Kroger's, the Walmarts and, and those types of things. They're they're the ones that like the big kind of box store model is the one that that really have a tough time getting into local communities. But the the challenge is that some of those stores have had aggressive models of basically knocking mom and pop stores out of business for Mm -hmm. six years. And so we've had this, this progressive kind of creeping rot where this concept that the USDA defined as food deserts has been developing and expanding throughout the United States and beyond. I mean, since the 50s. And so now we've got this situation, and what's worse is that when you can't get a reasonable, consistent access to healthy food into a low-income community, all the junk food companies come in to fill that gap in that vacuum.
0: Yeah, the 7-Elevens and all the little variety stores, which don't really sell decent food. Yeah,
2: gas stations, bodegas, dollar stores, all those come into the area, and they operate on a different business model where they use primarily shelf stable products so they can last forever. It's just like a gas station or a corner market. You go in there right. and buy a candy bar, it could have been there for six months, nobody cares. Totally. Yeah, They're not That's gonna right. have fresh produce or if they do, it's gonna cost like a dollar a banana.
1: Right. And we often say, I mean, the healthiest way to eat like you are what you eat is foods that rot because we want, you know, the foods that have, you know, the natural enzymes and they have more water content. And we want whole minimally processed foods and foods that are in um, like shelf stable, like you mentioned, a lot of times they're either, you know, loaded with preservatives or, you know, salt or fat, sugar you know make them taste good (laughs) so it's yeah yeah, exactly that's that's the problem when like even on a road trip or when you're traveling it's hard to access like really healthy good wholesome food and we've talked about that a lot too and like you said just those the dollar store the gas stations the the convenience foods the convenience stores Mm -hmm. basically have these foods that are not going to be supportive to health and a lot of people have to live their life on those types of foods because they're too far away from a market that has fresh produce and fruits and vegetables and yeah no no And everybody's
0: an expert on the internet too right so it just adds to the confusion of what should i be eating what's healthy what's not you know
1: well and so many
2: yeah. And to add to that problem, yeah, everybody's an expert and you can always find advice about how to do it. But if you're in an area where you can't get healthy food access, it's not information that's useful to you. So my focus has always been on how do we change the actual infrastructure to get the access in? Yeah. Love I love that. Like it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually, that's one thing I wanted to ask is like, um, what are some solutions for uh, rural and urban communities for like from a grassroots approach to help with the uh, food security and access to, um, healthier foods.
2: Well, you actually nailed it a couple of minutes ago when you were talking about the water content in fresh foods. Yes. So, so there's, there's kind of, I don't know, three types of food. If you want to break it down into a real generalized category, you've got your, your fresh whole foods, and then you've got your ultra processed, you know, whatever brand name crap that we, that we eat, but then you've also got pantry staples. So like basically, yeah, if it, if it's been dried properly, dry food is, is, you know, almost as healthy as fresh beans, like real close. You know, there's, there's very little drop in nutritive value between a dried bean and a fresh bean.
1: So, Shannon, I'm thinking, yeah, exactly. I'm thinking nuts, seeds, uh, legumes, like pulses, uh, lentils, like all the different beans. Those are the, we're talking about the, um, shelf stable dried foods that are not like you bet you can't eat just one kind of the ones that have tons of um marketing and labels like all the, you know, the hype yeah. and the, <laughs> the the food companies trying to sell you. It's the basics that we've had, like our grandparents were eating. Our, and, you know, historically, everyone around the world, um, ethnicities, ethnicities like beans and rice and, you know, yeah. whole grains and nuts and seeds, like that is kind of the food that I'm thinking you're talking about, which is exactly Fits into a healthy um, eating pattern for people.
2: Absolutely, and it's not even just. I mean, you, you know, we all think about the legumes and the and the grains and stuff like that. But the spices are so important because you know a lot of people can get fresh food sometimes. You know, maybe not all the time, but they can get fresh food. But if you don't know how to make it tasty, you're not going to eat it. And and so. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, so like just having a good, robust, like, like just a personal pantry is such an important aspect of being food secure, because once you have all of those additives and all of those kind of flavorings and spices and all the things that you can do to manipulate food, as long as you have access to power and, and water, you can make a healthy meal.
1: Love it. That is so, so true. And flavor is the biggest thing. Like just having your food taste good and and yeah. enjoying it because it should be a celebration. Every time we eat, like we have, you know, probably at least three times, three opportunities a day, maybe five, maybe six, depending on, you know, your meals and snacks. But we have that opportunity to, you know, do our health harm or do our health good, like by the foods we're choosing kind of on a regular basis. It's not like the one meal that you eat out at McDonald's or something, but it's like the the uh, pattern of eating and the lifestyle and, you know, uh, what you're doing over the week kind of thing. And yeah, right. definitely. I mean, trying more spices and herbs and getting that food to taste good, the flavors. I think that's part of the problem, too, is the fact that so many people don't, learn the basic cooking skills and basic, you know, just how to cook a regular, like just a meal, like just the basics. Right. And that's what Mm -hmm. I deal with a lot is just trying to help people with how to you know, prepare healthy foods and how to, you know, look at the week ahead and, you know, just uh, ways to get those foods into their family and themselves. And um, it's so hard because it's not really taught in schools anymore. And so it's a, it's a tricky thing The food, the, there's access problems, there's the skills problems. And then like you were saying, some people have a home that they don't have a proper kitchen, like they might just have like a, you know, a hot plate or something where, They can barely make a meal. So those are all problems that uh, are um, issues that (laughs) it's a big hill to climb. Yeah, And that's
2: a, that's a really good point too, because the, it's, this is one of those things that we have a solution on the table, but nobody recognizes it because, um, so it's 2024 now and instant pots got invented in 2010. So they're only 14 years old. And before those got invented, I love, I love plugging instant pots because they're my favorite piece of equipment. Before they got us
1: too, love it. (laughs) Yeah, they're
2: amazing. So, so, so there really wasn't any pressure cooker solution that was safe in a home. You know, like because you could walk away from a stove and you got a pressure uh, a pressure pot on there, but if you walk away too long and it overpressurizes, it could explode. And so people don't like having those in their home. And so, oh yeah, I
1: grew up in the seventies. I grew up with my mom. Like, there's like there's holes in the ceiling from when it
2: burst. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh, man, there's
1: a lot of pressure in those pressure pots, <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, so what is they, they democratized the process by, by creating a plug in piece of equipment that you could that, that has the safety mechanisms in to keep it from, from over pressurizing? They created for literally the first time ever the ability for anybody at home to be able to rehydrate and cook dry food from scratch without a stovetop.
1: Yes, you're right. It's such a great tool. I love that. That's so interesting. I never, kind of thought of it in that way. But yeah, explain that again. Okay,
2: so so instant pots are instrument are really interesting because the whole way that they operate is they over pressurize steam, and so if you have dry food that goes in there, all of that water that's that that's making the steam goes inside the food, and because of that, if if all you have is dry pantry staples, let's say you don't have any fresh vegetables, everything you have is dry. All you have to do is add water, throw it in the instant pot or, you know, broth or whatever, you know, flavoring that you want to make. You hit start on that thing and when it's finished, it's going to be fully hydrated, fully cooked, fully safe and delicious because it it went through the same process that a slow cooker it takes 10 hours to do in 30 minutes.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. Oh, yeah, I, I love it. Cuz yeah, and and they're You can add those spices like you were talking about, like all the, you can use broth or you can use like a bit of salsa or tomato sauce and then lots of different spices and herbs. So making all the different flavors. I love it. And
2: it allows you to batch cook. So I have a a 10 quart Instant Pot. I got the one that that the Crock-Pot came out with. This thing's a monster. And I (laughs) broke down 10 pounds of pork the other day and turned it into pulled pork for sandwiches. And I've got enough food to last probably like a month of sandwiches. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> <are we> <laughs> oh, seriously. Yeah. Like you can do that. And you can do this with literally any type of food that, I mean, I have five recipe books of instant pot recipes and they're all absolutely delicious food. I can go through there yeah. and double or triple the recipe on each one of those. And now all I have to do is cook once. And then I've got meals for a week, two weeks.
1: Oh, I love yeah. it. I love we do we do that with our chicken. We have a yeah. we will put out like a whole chicken in there. And then uh, it's, you know, it, it's basically our chicken meat for that day and then dinner and then the next day for um, in a salad, the next day in a wrap. Yeah. And then the next day, you know, we're making a bone broth soup with the chicken bones with all the veggie scraps. And then we oh, use that yeah. bone broth it's soup to make for lentil soup. I just love
2: it. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Oh my god, it's so good. So, so let me let me walk you through a scenario. This is always fun. So imagine yeah. you're living in a converted motel room. You ever been? In, you ever been in a motel room and you and you just look around. You have got like a bar fridge and, and maybe a microwave. Yeah, nothing there really. So so the so when they when they you know like the freeways come by and it bypasses Highway 40 or whatever, all those old motels get converted into uh, like weekly residences. And so there's millions of people around the country that are living in converted motel rooms and they don't have kitchenettes any more than they did back in the seventies. So imagine if you're a family, let's say you're, you're a single mom, you got a couple of kids, you're trying to get back on your feet. You're, you know, maybe just went through a divorce, whatever your situation is, you're in that situation. And all you have is a microwave and a bar fridge to live on. So Right now, as things stand, you're pretty much forced to go down the street and get a, bur- a burrito or a McDonald's or whatever to feed your kids. But if you add mm-hmm. a pot in there and then just get a literally just like one of those plastic bins that they sell at Costco and fill it up with pantry staples, and you could pull it out of your truck, take it inside, and now you've got a full kitchen. And if you add a, yeah. um, an air fryer, like what, like a like a Ninja air fryer or one of those types. Or even the ones that have the second pot, like instant pots now come as air fryers too. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I've got an instant pot that doubles as an air fryer. So you could literally have your oven component, you got your stovetop component because it has a saute function, and you've got your instant pot function.
1: That makes sense, right? To have like these utensils that are, you know, not like a big uh, stove or an oven. Like a lot of people don't even use their ovens in their kitchen just because they're Exactly, e- you know, eating out all the time or whatever. And, yeah, just having those little appliances, the instant pot, like it's like a crock pot plus the pressure cooker, and then the air fryer also, and a microwave and a toaster and a kettle. Um, but you know those those will all like help with uh, making a wholesome homemade meal. Yeah.
2: so I developed a, a a whole course around when I was running my nonprofit, I developed a course where they had uh, – there's this national um, evidence-based program called Cooking Matters. I took the Cooking Matters course, and I modified it to uh, have the recipes work on plug-in implements. And Mm. I was – yeah, so I was teaching that to – I was working with other nonprofit organizations. So, like, there was an addiction recovery program up in Reno, and we became their nutrition module for their clients that were going through their addiction recovery program. And so now – you know, you get the same thing. There's programs for uh, uh, prison reintegration. There's programs for, um, uh, you know, like, try, like teens transitioning out of foster care and going into going into, the, into the real world for the first time. So there's all these different groups of people that then end up getting stuck in cracks in the system. And they end up falling through these cracks. And if we can catch them in the programs that they're already in, like um, one of the perfect ones and, and, and kind of my baby is veterans. You know, I got out of the military at mm. 27 and I was just dumb as a stump. <laughs> I mean, I had no idea about food. I've got, I mean, some really embarrassing stories about my first attempts that kind of scared me away from food for a long time. And that's one of the things that contributed to my obesity epidemic and, and really almost dying 10 years ago. Oh, wow. And wow, so I'm, I'm really hot really about, you know, veterans getting out of the military need to have a basic understanding about how to take care of themselves. And they should get issued a, an Instant Pot on the way out the door. And that I way love would
1: that. That's a great idea.
2: Yeah. So if we get bad, I mean, if we get... You know, if, if that's something that people walk away from when they're getting out of prison after 10, 20 years, if that's something that they're, you know, that, that people are getting coming out of high school and coming out of college, like, you know, these are types of things that are really easy to add into a system and give people a basic understanding. Like, all they, all they need is a block of instruction about how the buttons work, literally. Mm-hmm. you know give them give give them a cookbook give them a starter kit of spices and and you know some you know some staples to get them started put it together into a package so they're like oh you don't even have to pre-mix it or pre-measure it's like here this is a meal this is just to show you how a meal works boom throw it in there add some water you're done
0: yep
1: yeah i love that that's so true yeah
0: sandra uses ours like probably five times a week and it amazes me i it's kind of her baby i i haven't I guess haven't had an opportunity to use it because Sandra's always using it, but I love what comes out of it. It's incredible. And she'll, oh, she'll just, God. like you just said, she'll throw some stuff in it in the morning. It takes her like three or four minutes to th- throw whatever she puts in it. And then at lunch, she like has this gourmet meal. And I'm like, Oh my God, that That's came so out cool. of that pot. Like just that you started two hours ago. That's incredible.
2: <laughs> so yeah. yeah we, it's you, Rob, you and I got to talk man talk for a second. You like ribs? <laughs> I like ribs ribs. yeah all right try making ribs in an instant pot once it will change your life
0: oh I can imagine anything meat in an instant pot is like melt in your mouth and I can imagine ribs would be yeah unreal
2: yeah but not even like I have a, a vegan quinoa dish that I throw together in like 10 minutes and it'll make enough for 20 people in an instant pot and it's you know Corn and and bell peppers and quinoa and a couple other you know a couple spices and you throw it together. Mm-hmm. It's anything. <laughs> just add yeah, water. Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, and it's nice because it just you just take the pot out, stick it in your fridge, and then it's good to go for the rest of the week. And you know, it's yeah, it's it's a great uh, a great little tool for sure. Exactly. And I never thought. I mean, you're the, the whole concept of of changing the way people who are needing food, um, you know. It's it's coming at that issue from a different perspective and saying, okay, well, the food's there. Let's just teach you how to cook it differently so that you have access to different kinds of food that aren't just, you know, seven eleven nachos or whatever you've been eating. Right. So that's I love that idea.
2: Yeah, I love it. I a Thirty minute video that I did about how to hack Costco if you're food insecure. Like there's, huh? there's okay, there's, education is so important. If you just, I mean, you have to have a mindset where you're ready to 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 receive it. But there's so many. Right. Mm-hmm are ready, you know, that are like, hey, I want to make this choice. And and we're just lost, you know? Just as a society, there's too, you know, there's too much information. It's too hard to search for it. You know, we need to put it all in one place. And that's a big part of what I'm doing on the educational side is like, how do we just create a place where you can go? And that's that's kind of what I'm working on right now with my website, is is creating a place that's that's a knowledge base. And that's yeah, not, like a
1: hub. It's got some videos yeah.
2: about this is some basic how-tos. This is some, you know, this is how your uh your dorm could be set up to be food secure if you're a college student, as an example. Right.
1: So describe what you mean when you said hack Costco. Like, what are some of the things that, uh, just a few examples?
2: So, okay, so so I came from the nightclub and bar industry. And for years, I would go to Costco every week to get supplies. And so I got really incredibly knowledgeable about that store. Like, I know where everything is. I know I know my route. I know where all the dry goods are, where the frozen goods are. I know, you know the price difference between the, the, the cheeses that they showcase up over by the deli and the ones over in the big, you know, uh, big stacks and everything like that. And so what I did was I took, I, I, I went in with a friend and we basically came from the perspective of, of that, that scenario is like, what if we were living in just a, a converted motel room and all we got is a microwave and a bar fridge and we want to eat healthy. What can I get at Costco? How can I shop at Costco of all places? where everybody knows that there's way too much food. So let's say I'm by myself, you know, and I, I don't have any kids. I don't have, you know, a wife. I don't have anybody. It's just me. Does Costco even make sense for somebody like me? And <laughs> right.
1: Go, right. right?
2: And, and so, yeah, there, there's a lot of things that you can get at Costco that are shelf stable, that last a long time. You can get them in bulk. So you only have to take like one trip a month to go get supplies. And there's a way that you can hack Costco to be more food secure. I even teach people, and this is funny. So like, let's say if you don't have a car, but you've got a Costco card, you can work out a deal with your neighbor who has a car where you both go shopping once a month. They put all their purchases on your card, not not on your credit card, but on your Costco card. And not Mm -hmm. only are you able to hitch a ride from them, but you're also able to get the 2% cash back. So after the first year, you don't even pay for your membership. Oh, there you go. Nice.
1: Oh. Oh, I see. So that's a
2: hack. Oh, yeah. It's a you know, $160 one-time investment to get into it. But once you're in, you're in.
1: Ah, oh, yes.
2: And so, yeah, there's a lot of people that are that are struggling with that kind of thing. Like not having a transportation, especially out here in the West. Like, I mean, if you're if you're in New York or you know, Rhode Island or you know, maybe eastern Canada, where, where everything's kind of congested and, and, and everything's close to each other, you can kind of survive without a car, like not too, not too much of a problem. But you get out here in the in the California. Vancouver, you know, Oregon, Washington, where I'm at in Colorado, th- there's a lot of real estate and the public transportation mm-hmm. is not great. So if you're going back to that single mom scenario, if you're trying to hold down two jobs, juggle a couple of kids, try and survive all of this other stuff. And then you also have to be looking at like a two to four hour round trip on the bus. Yeah. Th- this is the type of barriers that people don't see unless you're in it.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. No, I, I totally hear you. I mean, even our, our local area is the transportation's not great. You know, like it's uh, yeah. definitely hard for people to get from one city to another uh, with the public transportation. Denver's not bad. There's, there's plenty of, there's, there's some decent transportation
2: here. Now, now, what's cool about Denver? This is what I was trying to do in Reno because the downtown area is the largest food desert, and it's also the hub for their public transport system. And so I was trying to get a grocery store started down there. And I got a huge amount of pushback from the small businesses there. They, they didn't like what I was doing at all. But um, they, they, if, if I was able to get a grocery store down there, and, and apparently, from what I hear, since I've left, my, my agitation and irritating people has worked enough that they're finally going to get a Trader Joe's down there, which is super cool. But, all right on. <laughs> but here in Denver, they kind of figured this stuff out. Like they, have, they actually have a Whole Foods right across the street from Union Station downtown. And so if you ride public transportation anywhere in the city, you have to go through downtown to get home or to get to work or whatever. And so all you have to do is get off your bus, go across the street, go shopping, then get back on your bus for the second leg. That helps. Yeah. So that's, so one of the things that people talk about with, when they talk about food insecurity in, in pretty much any city is, is how do we put enough stores in place to be able to make a difference without just going crazy and having 40 stores all over town? Cause, cause it's not mm-hmm. realistic. And so, by focusing on transportation hubs and 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 where the public transport uh, coalesces, and just focusing on that area, even if that even if the residences of that area aren't enough to be able to support the store, agitating to get a store into that area can really help the entire community to cut their their transport time in half.
0: Yeah, and that's huge.
2: Yeah. so much of this is just common sense, and and there's it's not that common. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah, I know.
0: That's the problem, right? <laughs> it's hard to make um, changes too. You know, even when things make sense, it's, there's just so much red tape to get through with most things that, you know, changes, changes are
2: slow. It's just the way it is. And unfortunately, we don't have the luxury of slow anymore. I mean, we're up against a wall on climate change. I don't know. I don't know. A, a lot of people on the nutrition side don't really know this, but the uh, uh, 43% of all of the climate change causing emissions are coming from our food system. Right. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. But um, so so we're, we're our food waste is not just costing us health. It's also costing the planet. And we're so mm-hmm. hyper focused on emissions and we're so hyper focused on, oh, we've got to, you know, reduce our greenhouse emissions from the cars and from the you know major corporations or anything like that. Like, OK, yes, that's true. But that's 57 percent. What about the other half? And yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. Like so. So it comes down like I don't know, it's kind of ridiculous to me that we don't think in that perspective. And there's a lot of people on the emitter side there and, and in the food system that are trying really hard to, to squash those types of conversations. There's a lot of pressure to maintain status quo. You know, people's profits and, and revenues are dependent on the systems that they set up. And so anytime you get in here and start talking about, oh, let's change the system, everybody that's already in the system is like, screw you, dude. <laughs> so that's, right, that's, part, right. that's part of the problem. <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if it's working and then if it's another layer of work that they have to do or, right. you know, implement, I think that is a barrier for the company probably, right? Yeah. That's
2: why I, I crafted the food waste rescue program to where it doesn't put an additional burden on the companies that, that donate. Mm. You're able to go to like, let's say you got a hospital and, and the hospital's job is not to rescue food. And they're going to tell you flat out to your face. Yeah, we're not going to get in any involved with any program that's going to cost us time, money or anything. But if you're able to outsource that process and be like, okay, so I'm, I'm building a food maker space here in Denver as a pilot program. And my whole goal is to create a logistics system that that takes the burden off of all of the other companies that are producing food so that they can feel comfortable donating into a safe, safe system without it increasing their bottom line or pissing off their shareholders or doing all the other stuff that they're afraid of. And Mm -hmm. that's, I think that's the perspective we need to go to really speed up this process. We need to really understand that a mechanism is kind of missing in our food system, and we need to really focus on how do we create kind of a gearbox in the middle that's going to actually make everything work, and so that we don't constantly just dealing with sand in the gears and like, oh, it's just going everywhere. We don't know.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and jumping into the existing flow too, like you're saying, so it doesn't disrupt what's already out there and it's a lot easier for businesses to get on board if they can just say, sure, it's not gonna change anything for me or cost me anything,
2: I'm in. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I mean art again, just because of the way things are right now, our whole conversation is around composting. You know, we have we have we have the conversation, but I, I have this analogy. Have you ever been to like a wedding where they have the giant cake? Yes, that, that
0: gets a little bit eaten.
2: Well, like even before, like, like before the ceremony goes in, I mean, do you have any idea what goes into making a wedding cake? <laughs>
0: I, I can imagine. Yeah, <laughs> it's
2: a ridiculous amount of work, and this is something that people can get their heads around because most people have been to a wedding or they've been involved with, with with preparing a wedding or something like that. And so that wedding cake analogy really makes sense because when you get to the day of, and you're you're bringing that cake around to the backyard for the ceremony. And you're planning your process of like, how am I going to get it from the truck to the backyard and get it on the table and not drop it? Like people <laughs> care about that, right? But we don't, yeah, have yeah. The same, we don't have that same care about our entire food system. And so the last right. thing we want to do is let that cake hit the ground. Because, yeah, sure, we can take, grab a shovel and we can scrape the cake up and we can throw it into compost. And at least <laughs> it's not in the, in the landfill. But the thing is, like not letting it go bad in the first place is so much better.
0: Mm -hmm. exactly (laughs) exactly it's like it's like the whole uh the three r's you know the 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 reduce reuse recycle it's it's everyone's focused on the the third r which is the recycle but what about the first two they're way more important but people don't want to reduce they don't want to you know reuse it's just easier to all just we'll just keep consuming at the same rate we always have and we'll just recycle it because it's okay you know, someone else is like taking care of that third R for us. So we don't have to change our habits, but it's mm. not the ideal solution.
1: Well, speaking of the habits, I, I wonder like is there is there like one big take home message for a listener in terms of like uh something that they can do in their own life to help this, you know, with your ideas of um how the food system is and I don't know, is there anything that people can do in their homes or in their life? So,
2: okay, I'm going to step away from the standard message here because I personally believe that the whole self-empowerment thing is kind of bullshit. Like we we have a, a, a whole thing in our society where everybody can take care of their own thing in their own home. And when it comes to food rescue and when it comes to food waste diversion and getting it out of the landfill, it's not really the best way to do this. So what people can do at home is to support single stream compost pickup. And and really agitate right. with with your with your waste management service or services or or the the local government organizations and get it because in the in the cities like Seattle and Portland and areas like that where they have it they've got way less waste ending up in the landfills because it's convenient for people in their homes like right. it's not, it's just not feasible for people living in apartments to compost their own food it's just not. And and asking people to do that, and then just guilt shaming everybody into saying, oh well, this is your responsibility. It's our it's our responsibility as a society. And scaling this up to the point where an entire, you know, municipal region is dealing with this stuff collectively, this is the way to handle it. And it's the same thing mm-hmm. with the food rescue on, on on the stuff that I'm working on. You know, individual restaurants could potentially feasibly, you know, package up the food and freeze it and distribute it themselves. If but they're but they're not going to. You know, people at home aren't going to do this. You know, we, we've proven time and time again over the years that people at, at home, the majority of them just aren't going to do this unless we make it easier for them to do it.
0: Yeah, I agree.
2: So that's that's my big message is we need to have collective action. We need to invest our resources into systems that are going to do this on a massive basis. We need to scale up our efforts. And if we do that, and if we're able to, you know, really kind of wake people up to the need of speaking out at this point in our history, you know more voices need to join us because not enough people know what what the problems are not enough people understand the solutions and not enough people realize that that we do have the power of of our voice and people are paying attention you know there's there's uh sustainability offices in pretty much every city in the united states now um you know that there's there's municipal uh leaders that are looking for solutions and if we're able to bring those solutions in public comment if we're able to get a, a coalition going uh, you know, start a, a start a survey. Maybe get a meetup group where people are uh, are volunteering time. And this is I, I don't know. I, it Sounds like we're running out of time, but um, I do want to put a bug in people's ear about backyard produce. So one of the things yes. I found out is that there's millions and millions and millions of pounds of produce from fruit trees in people's backyards that's ending up in landfills every year, and we don't even track it. But like up in Reno, mm-hmm. it was estimated like one point five million pounds a year ends up in the landfills. And so if a city five times that size, and you can pretty much extrapolate where all this food's going. And so um, there's a there's a program called Food Forward down in California, and they're up to five states and counting, and they're working their way towards you guys up in, in uh, Canada. And nice. so supporting their efforts to expand and get more backyard produce back into the system, it, or, or you know if you're on the other side of the country, or if you're not anywhere near Food Forward, starting up your own program. This is one of the things that I'm doing with my central kitchen design is we're going to set up a volunteer program where we can start capturing that backyard produce, get it through the kitchen, um, either clean and wash it or maybe turn it into fruit compote or, you know, any, any one of a double dozen other recipes, you know, make it shelf stable, make it last longer. And this is, this is one of the ways that we can really use our our resources more effectively as a society.
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Oh my gosh.
0: We've got, a, uh, we've got a bunch of fruit trees on our property, and I, I know the feeling. We, we have such a difficult time dealing with the quantity of fruit that's just in our own yard. And yeah. one of the ways that I've found, um, and this is something anyone can do with a fruit tree, is there's people at the little craft markets who are selling jams and jellies and, and all those. They're happy to take your fruit. And because they're they're actually producing it, and if you're saying, hey, you know, I'll I'll swap you a bucket of apples for a couple of jars or whatever you're making, they're right. more than happy to help you, and and so that's one easy way just to you know off the top of my head something that's worked for us. Yeah,
2: exactly. No, that's that's exactly the the, the right way to go about it. And so the next step up from that logic model would be to internalize the program and actually set up a system that allows cottage industry to be able to use your equipment to do that type of stuff and, and to support mm-hmm. entrepreneurism, that's the program that I'm working on here in Denver.
0: Perfect. Yeah, just that's just a awesome. bigger scale. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense.
1: Cool. What's a... I, uh, we would love uh, for people to be able to check out more about what you're doing and uh, where to find you. And we'll put any links in the show notes. But is there one off the top of your head that people should go look for online? I am
2: super excited about my blog. I, I just started writing articles um, in November and I got up on this on this uh, platform called Substack. And so my my blog is sdobbs.substack.com. And um, I've got six articles written and basically it's it's little kind of excerpts from my book and it's just getting onto a subject and like I'll have a conversation with somebody and be like, oh, this needs to get dug deeper into. And so I get into some really interesting directions on that blog and I'd love it if people would get on there and especially if people would like leave comments, ask questions, you know, read the articles and then engage with me. And I'd, I'd love to have conversations going with that and and just really kind of expand this dialogue and get more people's opinions and perspectives. Like that's really where I've got a website, foodsystemhackers.com. We're working on building that out. I've only got the main page going so far, but uh, the blog is really, that's, that's what I'm excited about right now.
0: Perfect. We'll definitely direct people in that direction. It sounds like a a great way to communicate these ideas. And like you said, get the dialogue, hopefully get the dialogue uh, happening. If some people can contribute with their ideas and comments, that's a good start.
2: And uh, actually, um, I have it. So I have it. All the articles are free. Like you don't have to. There's no paywall to, to read the articles. But it does have a uh, payment component on it. So if somebody wants to contribute to help build the food hub and, and get us going and get this pilot program going, you can actually set up as a uh, as a subscriber.
0: Nice. Yeah, actually, that's a that's awesome. a good uh, that's a good way to, to um, incorporate the the fee into it. So yeah, good yeah, thinking. It's
2: kind of a, Kind of the, the the public benefit corporation version of a donation because we can't get donations. Exactly. We, right. Yeah, you
1: <laughs> got it. Well, we have we forgot one question, Rob. Uh, you want to ask? And I oh, think I might best... know the answer if it's the pulled pork. But anyways, you ask.
0: It's yeah. We'll give you the answer. You figure out the question. <laughs> no, we we. <laughs> <laughs> we we ask this to all of our guests, uh, and this, like Sandra mentioned, I think before we were on uh, before we were recording, we, we kind of plan on visiting all of our guests, and it's because they make such good food. But the question mm-hmm. is, if you were going to a potluck dinner, what dish would you bring?
2: Oh, I got a couple of goers. I have a, uh, a scalloped potato recipe that I do in my instant pot that's absolutely amazing. Um, nice. I, do, I do that quinoa recipe. If there's anybody that's, uh, that's either gluten intolerant or vegan, um, that's, that's a really good one. Cause it can feed just a ridiculous amount of people and the ingredients are dirt cheap. Right mm. on.
0: Yeah. I love that. Those those are, are both winners. I, and yeah, like Sandra said, it we figured it'd be the instant pot, something in the instant pot. Sounds like Hell you're yeah. a big fan, but that's my baby. Those are great. Yeah. Awesome. Anything yeah, cool. else there, Sandra?
1: No, I think that's good. We've uh, we covered a lot of ground here. This was a really interesting and eye opening. It like makes you think about like you know going into a restaurant. and You just like you think about what's happening out the back of the kitchen at the end of the day and how much food is going out into the garbage. It's just so um, there's yeah there's got to be something that. We can, help with with that.
2: That we can have this conversation and we're not just bitching about the problems. Like we're actually talking about, these are solutions that are on the table. Like this is how, this is where we go. This is the path.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's great to hear this yeah. stuff. So oh, yeah, thanks absolutely. for, th- thanks for sharing your thoughts today with us. It's, it's nice to hear some different ideas about issues that we're all familiar with.
1: Wow. Yeah. This is a huge, um, we could go on for days. <laughs> it's, it's a complex problem.
2: I, I had, uh, this guy I was talking to was recommending to me last week. I, I wrote that I wrote this, I don't know, three or four page article. And he's like, you know, your articles are a little long. Nobody's going to read them. And I'm like, if they're any shorter, it's not going to have any information.
0: Yeah,
1: true. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm going to have to exactly. get
2: yeah. down to the people that will read them because I'm not going to go for the, the the mass audience thing
0: yeah <laughs> exactly. it's it's the tip of the iceberg you know it's there's so there's so many levels to these issues that, uh but you know starting starting with one and chipping away and and just plugging you know keep plugging away it'll it'll hopefully make a difference eventually
2: exactly and then you know eventually scaling up and, and creating a cohesive solution that works for all of it like that's the big deal that's the brass ring yeah
1: exactly yeah, absolutely oh yeah Oh, thank you so much, Shannon, for coming on. Yeah. I
2: love talking to you guys. Let's do it again.
1: I'm definitely coming up to visit. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, and we'll come to Colorado, too. Yeah, that
0: sounds awesome. All right, Shannon. Well, thanks again. We appreciate uh, everything that you shared with us today, and we'll definitely direct people in in, uh, your direction. Uh,
2: That'd be fantastic. Rob and thank you so much for inviting me on. I really appreciate this. All
0: All right. Take care, Shannon.
1: Nice talking with you. Okay. Talk again.
0: Well, that was quite a eye opening conversation.
1: It sure was. And we'll link his book in the show notes. It's called The Food Waste Rescue Manifesto. Nine mistakes in food rescue we need to stop making now.
0: Yeah. It's good to it's good to have these things pointed out. I think like most of what he said just it was so common sense, but it's stuff we just don't think about. So it's good to have someone, you know, to have this conversation. And like he said, that's kind of his point is to have this dialogue and and to have as many people hear this as possible, because that's how things change is is getting more people involved and getting more more people on board, understanding the issue and...
1: Getting the message out. Yeah. Yeah. And we did, I referenced two previous episodes that we did with Meredith Cushing. People could look up. Because we've got some real actionable strategies and tips to do in your own home Mm -hmm. and in your neighborhood. So number 43, episode number 43 was about food rescue. And number 68 was stop food waste.
0: Yeah, those are really good as well.
1: Yeah, really good. I learned a lot with that just about what foods freeze well and don't freeze well and what to uh, keep in your fridge and on the counter and all that. I remember that was
0: real practical tips. Yeah. In those. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That yeah. was great. Wow. Yeah.
0: So I'm glad we did this it's a little different than, uh, you know, your normal, uh, nutrition advice, but it's all part of the, the, the whole picture is when it comes to food and, and what we can do, uh, on both ends, you know, re- reducing things in the first place, making some changes on that end. And then also looking at how we can change things on the other end of, After the food is grown, where is it going? What are we doing with it? And how can we uh, make sure it goes to the right places? So if you want more information on what we're doing, you can check out our website. We've got a newsletter too. I think we've uh, mentioned that a few times now. We're uh, doing that once a week, our weekly newsletter. There's interesting uh, tidbits of information there. We talk about sort of some of the shows that are coming up, uh, what we've done through the week, that sort of thing. So you can sign up for that on the website. There should be a sign up button on most pages on the website. So make sure to do that. You can also email us your questions if you have ideas for the show or uh, just questions or you just want to say hi, whatever. You can email us at mywifetherd at gmail.com. And the website address is mywifethedietitian.com.
1: Yeah, and if you're enjoying the show, then it's great if you rate and review or and or tell a friend or colleague or co-worker about the show and just let other people know about it because uh, hopefully you're finding some good tips with this and good strategies to help in your own life to become healthier with eating better and feeding your family.
0: Exactly. I know I'm learning a lot, so hopefully everyone else is too.
1: We're all learning.
0: Yeah, That's true. <laughs> We're also on social media. If you are a social media person and you're, you know, flipping through your social media, then check us out. We're on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, Feel free to leave a comment there as well. We love uh, hearing what you have to say, hearing some feedback on what we're doing here. So don't be shy. Let us know what you think. Awesome. Well, that is it for this week. Thanks again to Shannon for joining us and for sharing his knowledge on everything that we discussed today. It was uh, amazing to hear. And we will be back on Wednesday with Nutrition Nuggets.
1: And I think we're taking a question from a listener for Nutrition Nuggets all about the color of the rainbow and if the white foods fit. So Ah, stay tuned to that. Oh,
0: fun. Okay. Another interesting Nutrition Nugget. So that'll be Wednesday. So until then, have a great week, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on My Wife the Dietitian. If you like what you heard, don't be shy. Leave us a comment or review and be sure to share our podcast with your friends. If you'd like to hear more, hit that subscribe button. You can also follow us on our social media pages for updates, episode trailers, and other odds and ends. For more info and links on what we discussed on today's episode, check the show notes. We'll be back next week with another informative and fun-filled episode.